Welcome to the Freelance Jungle with your hosts, Rebecca Lambert and Nicole Leader. podcast is recording in Wollongong and Adelaide and is broadcast nationally right around Australia. We'd like to acknowledge the Darwal people of the Sydney Basin and the Ghana Aboriginal people of the Adelaide Plains as the traditional owners of the land we're currently recording from. We also acknowledge the traditional landowners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to the sounds of the freelance jungle with your host Rebecca Lambert. That's me and Nicole Leadham. And that's me. Now, hello. I <laughs> almost forgot to welcome you. <laughs> okay. So today we're exploring what it means um, to do what you love when you work. So it's that whole do-what-you-love culture, as well as the mythology and the pressure that, that this view can create within. We're going to look at why business bravery and do-what-you-love myths are so attractive, and we're going to remind you that stress has a productivity cost. We're all lo- also looking at the importance of boundary setting and why you shouldn't feel shame when you don't love your job, and that contentment is always a better alternative. So what's got you excited about today's episode, Nick? Well, I'm not a big fan of the whole do what you love thing. I think there's a lot of woo out there about doing what you love and, you know, it's not that easy. I think if you do what you love, that's great if you can, but often it means that doing what you love can turn what you love into a chore. Um, Mm. And I think also as a freelancer, it's impossible to just do what you love. So, you know, you love writing or you love designing or you love presenting or whatever it might be, but you've also got to do the business stuff, the admin, the the invoices, the receipts, um, the marketing. And, you know, just because you love what you do doesn't mean the clients will flock to you and invoices generate themselves and the ATO leave you alone. You still need to actually earn a living. Um, I mean, it would be lovely, wouldn't it? I would just be sitting at Netflix and uh, watching Netflix all day on the couch and scrolling through Facebook. So, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. And I guess, you know, as an aside, in my in my last real job, I worked in an organisation where the really big boss felt that the important work we did was reward itself. It was about workplace mm-hmm. safety. She was incredibly invested in it, which meant it was one of the worst worst resourced workplace I've ever worked in and the most toxic because there was this expectation that we were all there because we loved the job not because we needed to pay a mortgage Mm. so let's get into it shall we according to the future of wellness at work report conducted by the global wellness institute in 2016 the world's 3.2 billion workers are increasingly unwell They're growing old, they suffer more from chronic disease, they're stressed, unhappy and sometimes unsafe at work. They face significant economic insecurity. 
The economic burden of unwell workers in both medical expenses and lost productivity is enormous, possibly reaching 10 to 15% of the global economic output. Increasingly, it's not enough to simply derive satisfaction from work. Work Work-life balance has become little more than lip service. Full-time working Australians are working longer hours on salary, which means reduced pay. Our wages are stagnant or they're slow to grow. Some industries, such as IT, are even still in decline. 80% of Gen Y workers want satisfaction from their work. The Australian Institute of Management released a report in April 2016 on the state of Australian workers. Of the 25,000 workers surveyed, 81.9% of these workers leave their jobs in search of new challenges and due to limited opportunities. While 44-sided a lack of pay rise is a significant influence in the decision to leave. 63.7% pointed the finger at culture. With all the proof pointing to an unhappy working life, remuneration not having the same power and indeed the same financial resources being enjoyed by us, a desire to reinvent the working wheel as a result has come through. Is it any wonder we're increasingly looking for something to feel passionate about, connected to and love? Yet at what cost? Is there a darker side to having a passionate love affair with work we haven't considered? And are we potentially devaluing the work that we do by saying that love is enough? What are your thoughts, Nicole? Well, you know, as I said earlier, if I did what I love, someone would pay me to lie on the couch binge watching Netflix. And I I think, you know, it's nice to be good at your job and to find your job easy. And I like what you said before about potentially devaluing the work we do by saying love is enough. And I I think that's certainly something a lot of creative freelancers tackle with with their clients. You know, we see quite a lot of comments around the place where it seems that clients think that we do it because we love it so much, we shouldn't charge for it or we shouldn't charge as much as we do for it or we shouldn't, we should be grateful to just have the work because it's something we love. And I think, you know, that's unfortunately what happens if you buy into the do do what you love myth. And I also think it means that you buy into the do what you love myth, what you love will quickly become what you hate because Mm. freelance or any other work can be relentless. It's not all about love. And to make it seem like doing what you love will solve that problem is bullshit. Can I can I say that in air? It's our podcast. I can say that, can't I? Um, <laughs> I'll just put the appropriate warning up. That's fine. <laughs> um, I love writing. I love it. But I hardly ever write for enjoyment anymore because all my words are used up on client websites and annual reports and marketing material. There, there are no words left for enjoyment. So really, for do what you love, myth, I probably would have been better um, doing some sort of job, other job, and then writing on the side, perhaps. I'm a big fan of do what you're good at, which I like to call yaga. I think it's a better <laughs> better goal and it makes work less of a grind. And, you know, if what you're good at is also something you enjoy, so the better. What you love should be left for your downtime. What did someone say in the Freelance Jungle website recently? It was do what you seem to be good at and find you like better than anything else so far. Would you like to try to to do that acronym, Beck? Oh, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'd sound like the cookie monster with a mouthful of peanut butter. (laughs) I get the point, though. And, look, I understand this. I'm a reformed workaholic. I used to be that person that got up at 5 a.m. in the morning for cross-continental conference calls and would stay until the testing was done at 9 p.m. at night. The company was that I was working for at the time was profitable but not as profitable as they would have liked and they were closing offices 
and we had nowhere to go. So basically what happened is we had this beautiful Australian office and we all worked really hard and many of us were really invested in the work. But at the end of the day, we were aligned on a balance sheet to somebody back in our headquarters in North America and it just didn't work for them. So we got offered redundancies, um, part-time work until the redundancy, or we could be mapped to Canada. It taught me that no matter how hard you work, no matter how much the boss loves you, no matter how much effort you put in to someone some way, you might be a totally different thing. You're just a line on a balance sheet. And I think that that's quite sobering because you realize that you don't actually have control over your working situation as much as you think you do. There are factors that are going to come into play and there are going to be people that have a different framework and a different way of evaluating your value in the workplace. And you can't work to the point where, you know, 5am to 9pm all day, every day, and still not be a blip on the radar and suddenly realise that it's not about how hard you work. It is about all of the different influences that come into play and what people are looking for. You know, it's not just this experience that creates suspicion in my mind. The whole idea that your business is centred on you and what you love makes it sound like well, it's not very centred on the customer, is it? It's not very centred on what your client needs if it's all about you all the time. And I think that that's one of the things that I see is forgotten in this equation because your clients are the ones that ultimately have to love your work at the end of the day. And if you do well and you create great stuff, that's fine. But we all know that we can do that and clients will still reject it. So there's all these different moving parts that don't actually allow for this big romance to happen between us and work. And it also implies that passion is this great protector from failure. If you work long and hard enough on something, I'm sorry, but you can still fail. You know, there's 97% of startups in Australia fail. It's what, 65% of small businesses fail within the first two years. It's not through a lack of passion. It's not through a lack of hard work, but through a myriad of other things you can't control. If our profitability doesn't improve, how much responsibility can we realistically take onto our shoulders from these outside influences? And I wonder if believing in the passion myth and the do-what-you-love culture is a way of trying to control things that are actually outside our sphere of influence. There's so many different things that we just, you know, we have to put up with that we try to control the relationship. And I think when the relationship can't be controlled, we can give ourselves more heartbreak than we set out to do. Our side projects also don't have to be our side hustles. You know, you can do stuff that matters. And sometimes it's better to take downtime and not have it be our economic mainstay. We can stay connected. We can work on things that we're good at. We don't have to worry about the money and the client feedback so we can do our creative stuff the way we want to do. And sometimes it's our best work. And it's also that whole thing of deriving satisfaction from the accomplishment of doing stuff rather than feeling like you have to have a passionate connection with work. I get high off doing really mundane things that other people might not really enjoy in their business. And it's not my core focus, but I love it because I feel like I've achieved something. I can look back on a day and I go, oh, look, I've gone and sorted out all my reconciliation from my banking or I've gone and loaded the social media up and had fun you know it, it doesn't have to have a direct relationship with money and and to be honest with freelancers what 50 percent or 70 percent of what we do doesn't have an economic return anyway doesn't mean that we don't have to you know find some way to enjoy it on some level what do you think Nick? <laughs> uh, I think I mean what you said was easily about the 
the side projects don't have to become side hustles and and the stuff left for downtime I I you know I don't between work and parenting and various other things I, I don't actually get a lot of downtime and I and I don't have a hobby you know I'm I'm envious of people that work all day in an office and then go and play you know with a band garage band at night or go home and do some artwork or something I, I don't actually have that writing has always been my enjoyment but now I'm my job <laughs> so it's, it's hard mm. to separate the two then and as I said earlier it means I don't actually have time anymore for doing the kind of writing that I that I want to do rather than the kind of writing I'm get paid to do yeah. also you know I mentioned earlier I worked in an organization where the boss felt our reward should be the role we played we were financially compensated pretty well but there was no other incentives there was certainly never any thanks for a job well done um, the media manager even struggled to get work to pay for a smartphone to do his job because they thought that, well, I don't, to be honest, I don't know what they thought. Um, but he spent a lot of time writing minutes to try and justify getting the tool that he needed to do his job. The place was toxic. You know, it's important to be, feel valued and to enjoy work, but passion is not enough. I, I also think that in the freelance world, do what you love can lead to underpayment, stress, mm. crappy low-balling clients, as I said before, but you love designing, so why do you want money for it? Yeah. And I agree, you know, if your self-worth worth and personality is tied up in work, it's very hard to separate what you love from how you earn a crust. Um, again, you know, using my husband as an example, he's a winemaker. That sounds wonderful on paper and he loves the concept of making wine, but it's a hard slog and it means he's exhausted when he comes home in the daytime it means 70 hour work weeks in vintage you know it's it's it doesn't separate the fun from the work mm. a passion can lead to burnout and withdrawal from family and friends and I think we've all seen that with various people and you know bottom line is doing what you are good at does not always translate into doing what you love yeah, so absolutely on that I think it's probably time we take a break let's hear from the first of today's sponsors You may have seen the spunky new website that the freelance jungle is now sporting. All that fantastic work where you can look up our directory, sponsorship information, find resources, check out the blog, know where to go for the networking and events and more is all down to the hard work of one woman. Victoria Evans at Toria Designs is an Adelaide-based web designer, designer and all-round creative thinker. She can optimize your business with individually designed websites to suit your needs. She works with clients on brochures, e-newsletters, e-books, and even social media posts. She's all about the conversion of new clients with your spiffy online presence, which is why she works on targeted strategies and campaigns. Work with Toria Designs to boost your online presence and drive your business growth. We're very proud to have Victoria Evans as part of the Freelance Jungle. Her work with our website is beyond belief. She's also provided a resource that all freelancers can use for many years to come. Thanks so much, Victoria, for all of the wonderful work you've done. We're proud to sponsor you as a podcast sponsor for the Freelance Jungle. If you would like to book Tori, all you need to do is head to toriadesigns.com.au. 
Contact Tori today. You won't be disappointed. you're back with the sounds of the freelance jungle with Beck and Nicole. Um, we're talking about do what you love and whether it's healthy, whether it's too steeped in mythology and pressure, alternatives to having that kind of lifestyle and relationship with your business. I believe in balance in, in the relationship. I believe in moderation with how this all works. And, and I think that it's important to gain satisfaction and accomplishment because it creates a more sustainable relationship with our self-employment business, you know. I think we lose perspective if we push for love. It means we might take the discount for working on the dream client or the dream program, um, project, as you mentioned before, Nicole, and that leaves us vulnerable to exploitation because we're happy to do the work and work for ourselves and perhaps we're not thinking about our future enough or the future of other people. We are going to work on projects that are going to be great, but that doesn't mean that we should discount. We should focus on how we feel about the work instead, instead of how the work makes us feel. I don't have to love every topic I write about to be content with the work I do. I recognize there's parts of my business I don't enjoy, but that I need to do them as part and parcel of the process. I also think that there's something good about seeing things out in the workspace even if you, when you worked on them, it wasn't necessarily the most exciting thing that you do. And I got that lesson from my dad, of all people. He was an electrical engineer and his job was mainly to wire big scale factories. Now, it wasn't particularly exciting for him to be drawing up wiring in giant factories, but when he saw them go live and the lights go on for the first time, it really gave him a buzz and that buzz he could pull into the next project that he did. And that to me is an important lesson or like with my partner he derives his satisfaction from helping people at work but not necessarily you know feeling like his brain is engaged as perhaps some of his hobbies so there's different ways that you can do it and I also don't believe that we should measure myself or yourself against a lucky moment if I get an amazing client who has a subject I enjoy it's certainly bliss or when I'm working on my stuff with the freelance jungle I certainly enjoy the situation and feel proud of what I do but I still know there is value in the challenge of a difficult subject or being less connected to a client I believe that people won't always do what we want or act the way we expect and I'm okay with that one of my old bosses said to me that when we're dealing with people, when we're overcoming objections and overcoming situations, sometimes we build the strongest relationships of all because you've overcome something together and you've learned to understand at the other side. And I think if we're always looking for two people to fall in love about a project and to run with it and have a great time, maybe we miss some of that friction and some of the building that we can do through that friction in, in certain ways. Do what you love is not going to be strong enough to get you through long nights and doing all the work all the time. Sorry, University of New South Wales in 2004 found that a level of impairment that we have when we pull an all-nighter is 0.05, you know, so we're literally drunk at our business wheel when we decide that passion for the work is what can drive us through. Stanford University's legendary sleep clinic has proven time and time again that sleep deprivation can negatively influence your memory, your vision, your ability to concentrate at the task at hand. We also know that it impairs our ability to apply creative thinking, which means that overall, if we're spending all of our time too connected to work, 
and getting high off the love, we don't give ourselves opportunity to refresh our brains and actually come up with better creative things in in, in future. Finally, all of this do what you love stuff on social media, come on, folks. We all self-edit. We all put our best selves out there. Even the stuff where we say my life is crap and I'm having a bad day is edited to a certain extent. There's a beautiful thing from journalist Jill Stark in her book Happily Never After where she talks about being on a mountaintop taking a photo with her friend while they were hiking and saying she wanted this photo on her Instagram and she hashtagged it bliss and happy life and all this sort of stuff. What she reveals in the book was that she was at the height of her anxiety at that particular point in time. She bitched and moaned all the way up the mountain and had really given her friend a very miserable kind of day because she didn't want to be there yet she wanted to have this photo up to show something else you know the whole idea that we have to keep presenting ourselves as saying I really love this to the world can be exhausting and it's probably not very good for us I've covered a lot of stuff here but hopefully something you can grab onto well I think there's a couple of things in what you said I think firstly you know we've all we've all been asked to do something for free for someone else's passion project it's it seems to be that because you know this is your passion it should be my passion as well and and uh firstly no um and, and I think that's one of the problems that people have when they go into passion projects is that they don't actually go into it with a business plan and a marketing budget and whatever. So they seem to think they can get it all for nothing. I, I have a little hobby where I Google people who have asked me to work for free or for um, shares or whatever in their passion project and not one of them still exists after about a year or 18 months. So there you go. That's a zero percentage of passion projects that don't have a marketing budget actually surviving past a year. You know, I do consider myself lucky. I, I, I'm able to earn a living doing something I'm good at and something I find reasonably easy. Do I love it? No, not always. Sometimes it can be a real, you know, some, some days can be a real drag. You know, you're dealing with a difficult client Um, You just don't have the mojo, you know, and in an office or in a different world you can um, be a bit present, whereas when you're freelancing, you know, you don't work, you don't get paid. So, you know, I do it because mortgages need to be paid and kids need to be fed. And uh, if that wasn't a driver, I'd be writing for my own enjoyment, not for clients. So I think, you know, it's all well and good, but um, I, I just I think it's a bit overplayed. I think, you know, the bottom line is that we live in an economy where things need to be bought and things need to be paid for, and it's work that gives us that, not passion or what we love or whatever. And, I mean, I have this discussion with my son who's looking at his future. He's um, in year 10 at the moment and, you know, talking about where he might see himself and, you know, it's very clear. You've, you've got to look at what is going to feed you and feed your family. Um, you know, I, I mean, again, for him, if he did his passion thing, it would be sitting on the Xbox playing games. But, you know, you can't always do that. Don't buy into the myth. Do what you're good at. Trump's do what you love. I think it's also important to realise that when we're saying, you know, the passion myth is difficult and, and problematic. It's not that you shouldn't get satisfaction from your work. It's not that you shouldn't feel like you're connected to it and that you're having a good time. It's just have it in a realistic perspective, you know, like look at what you do, what you supply to people, how you feel about 
accomplishment and stop trying to make it more than it should yeah, be. And I think, does that make sense? I'm working on a re- really, really big multifaceted project at the moment as part of a team and it is spreadsheet driven and I am not a spreadsheet person in any way shape or form but I am loving going into that spreadsheet at the end of the day and ticking off what I've done even if all it's done is I've moved one thing from one part of a workflow to the next part of the workflow you know it's not exciting work it's it's fairly dry government work but it's nice to it's that sense of accomplishment like you said it's not I'm not passionate about websites but man it makes me feel accomplished when I can tick those check boxes off let me tell you (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know that feeling it's like when I edit the podcast so I'm not very good at audio by any stretch of the imagination but I get a sense of achievement of of going through something and focusing and I think there's also something to be said for not being the brightest person in the room or not being the most capable and I think if we forget and we focus about turning everything we're really good at and we really love into work all the time, we don't get that opportunity to be the least most capable person in the room and learn something about ourselves or learn some new skills like spreadsheet wrangling or audio editing because normally we wouldn't have taken those on because we would have been too busy going, no, writing's my thing Mm. and that's where I've got to go. Well, I think it's probably time for another ad break and then maybe we should come back and um, have a look at some of the comments from people in the freelance jungle because we did put a call out about Do What You Love um, and I'd love to hear some of those thoughts. And you're back with the sounds of the freelance jungle with Rebecca and Nicole and we're talking about Do What You Love and where it sits with you in your freelance life. I put up a thing in the freelance jungle just to give everyone a bit of context the first time we recorded this it didn't actually work (laughs) we had major equipment failure and everything went wrong so this is the second recording of it but it gave us the opportunity to put some stuff out in the jungle and get a few thoughts from different people and I've got a couple of those here Hayley Rolson Jones which is one of our admins as you would know I think she's got a great thing here where she distills it she says I do love what I do, but in saying that, I think you can love your what your work gives you, the freedom, the flexibility, ability to provide for loved ones, ability to travel or volunteer or spend time with family and still do great work or feel fulfilled. I also understand that what you love can change. I used to love camera work. Now it gives me nightmares. What do you uh, say to that, Nicole? You know, it's true. Like I said, it, it, it is. As I said earlier, it can turn, doing what you love can turn um, what you love into something that gives you nightmares. <laughs> I think also too, to get where you love, you've got to eat some crow there for a while. Like Ellis Smith had a great quote about her sister. She was saying about her sister, she's a world-famous scientific botanical illustrator who's met David Attenborough several times, royalty, she gets flown around the world regularly to workshops. She does do what she loves. But it's taken 30 years of blood, sweat, tears, read all that hard work and dedication to get to that number one spot. And in light of that, Ella says, I tend to think that do what you love is too simplistic. Having said that, I think we all need to aspire to do more 
more of what we love. But at the end of the day, let's admit that sometimes we need to get the money in the door, the bills paid, and the portfolios filled. The more you focus on what you're doing with love, backed with positivity and realism and a healthy dose of practical commitment, the more in reach those 30 years of hard work Mm. paying off will be. Very true. It's like those overnight successes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the just add water sales funnels. The four hour the working four steps week and the, to success. Yeah, all of that stuff. Oh, interestingly, the four hour working yeah, week yeah. guy <laughs> has written about burnout as a result yes. of his thoughts and thinking ethos. And which, yeah, I think, I mean, I still love Joanna Kohler's comment, which is that do what you seem to be good at and find that you like better than anything else so far, which I think is a very, very. You know, it's true. You, you, it's that balance between, okay, I'm reasonably good at this and I I don't hate it. <laughs> so, so like you said, it's deriving some satisfaction mm. from your work, but you can do that without following your passion, for example. You know, you, you just can't. You can you can derive that that satisfaction without passion. I mean, you know, maybe I'm just too old and curmudgeonly to sort of see that the the following your passion thing but I do see it in a lot of uh particularly women's Facebook groups I've got to admit where you know someone loves to crochet baby clothes or make cupcakes or design wedding stationery so they throw everything at it because it's their passion and they love it and their friends have said you're good at this you should make a business and they you, you see their posts in those groups going from I'm so excited about my new business to I have a website but I haven't made any sales to my husband is not supportive and make you know wants me to go back to work and then obviously cue all the divorce him he doesn't understand you blah 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 and then um you know their, their final post in the group is I just started a new job bulk cake tins knitting needles invites are selling at cost price so you know they've followed their passion but they haven't they haven't followed it mm. they, they thought passion was enough I think which you mentioned earlier passion is never enough You've got, I, I look at a friend of mine who's also in the jungle, a uh, sculpture artist by the name of Anna Small, and she is passionate about art and art and, and being an artist as a profession, but she also has an incredibly good business head on her shoulders, and that is her success. She's a good artist, but she's a successful artist because of her business head. There's no doubt. Hmm, absolutely. Um, and I think there's an interesting point from Eva Shay Froth, I hope I'm saying that correctly, Eva, where she says, these days, I think making an impact is more important than loving what you do. Doesn't just loving what you do without actually having an impact well, get you old. Know, as someone that's worked in jobs that have never had an impact my entire life, you know, marketing, journalism, or maybe some of the journalism stuff I did, <laughs> I've done a few things in journalism that I'm proud of that did make an impact in people's lives. But generally the kind of work I do is not making an impact in too many people's lives. So I, I love her sentiment. But again, you know, it's how, what's, how do you determine what an impact is? And, and I think... I mean, you can certainly make an impact in small ways mm. outside of work with volunteering and various things like that. But, you know, it depends what your skills are as to how much of an impact you can make with paid work. I, I, and I go back to, you know, my previous job where we were making an impact. We were making sure that people who went to work in the morning came home from work alive and uninjured in the afternoon. But, you know, that wasn't enough. 
I mean, I've been pretty lucky. I've got to admit, you know, when I first started working on things, I was doing stuff like help desk stuff. So I felt like even helping someone through a technical problem was impact enough because I lowered their stress. And then I got into the dating industry and I worked in that for seven and a half years. And look, you, you do have funny moments where things don't go to plan and events will fall over and products will break and all that sort of stuff. But there was really something fun when you'd get someone coming through and go, oh, by the way, I've met someone and we're getting married. For all the things that can go wrong in the dating industry, and let me tell you, there are lots and lots of stuff, those tiny little raindrops of happiness do make a difference. If you can find that in your work, that's fine. Don't expect rainfall every day, though. You've got to make yeah. make those raindrops count. Jeannie Coyle, who is one of our other fellow admins, had a really interesting <laughs> point, and she's got an acronym here, and I'm not going to try and say it like Nicole would say it. But it's sometimes it becomes D-W-Y-C-W-W-Y-H, <laughs> whatever, um, which is do what you can with what you have. Genius thing is when the ability to do what you love is taken away from you, you can be forced to compromise and you do what you can and you try to love that instead. And that's speaking from all different sorts of perspectives. But if you think about freelancers that do this due to disability and mental health issues or people that have been forced out of jobs, made redundant, kicked out because they've gone on maternity leave or can't find a job because places aren't parent-friendly or you know, if you're living regionally and there's no jobs around for you, maybe it is about finding do what you can with what you have and creating work. And that in itself to be honest, is really inspiring and, and to me seems far more powerful because you're looking at your circumstances and saying, I think, um, this doesn't I, I really me. like that too. And I'm going to work my way through it. To me it has kind of similarities with, say, former sports people, some of whom who might have been forced out through injury or through not getting a contract or something like that. They, they've, they've been doing what they love their entire life. They've made very good money out of it and then it's ripped away from them. We see in the media you know, the, mm. the former sports people struggling with mental health issues, the former sports people ending up on the streets or, or doing whatever. And I think, you know, like I said, that what they love has been pulled away from them often through no fault of their own. And they don't have a backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, look, nothing in life is certain. And a lot of this stuff is... Well, you know, there's a quote in disability circles, which is disability is a club you can join at any time. You know, things can happen beyond your control. Um, and it's nice to not have to grieve so hard for the identity that you had. Um, my partner has a friend here in Wollongong called Kyle. He owns his own gym. He's a proud small business owner. He's a black belt. He's a competitor. He's had a spinal cord injury. All of his life now needs to change and it's, you know, the community is rallying around him to make that change and it's wonderful to see and all the rest of it. But what strikes people about Kyle and his situation is the amount of resilience that he has there because he has a practical approach to everything. And, yes, life has changed, but you can see that he 
has a better chance of making it through through having the practical side of life attached I to that, the rest of really his I mean, career with this martial arts. We've now spoken about this for about you know what I mean? just over half an hour. And I think, but I think that is the key point, I guess, is that, you know, do what you love or do what you're passionate about doesn't take into account all the outside forces that, that happen. You know, it, it's not enough because it can be taken away, whether that's through mm. accident or injury or whether that's through the fact that you just you just haven't set up a very good business. As you said earlier on, you know, a huge percentage of startups fail and you can't predict it. You've got this fantastic idea that you're fantastically passionate about, but you can't predict what's going to happen in the marketplace. You know, I think that that is the key is that do what you love is it's great, but it's not everything. It's not enough. There needs to be more and do what you love. And there's two readings that I'd like people to do a bit of homework because that's the nerd that I am. But there's two readings that have really nice framework on this and can help get the the framework that you need to have a realistic relationship. And that's Nikki Durkin. She wrote a blog piece called My Startup is Failing and This is What It Feels Like. Now, you might recognize Nikki Durkin's name because she Um, invented 99 dresses which was about having a shareable wardrobe and then she went on to be a phenomenal success with this idea and it was getting lots of traction and she got invited to New York and all the rest of it but it didn't come to fruition in the end and she really opens a vein on the page and tells you all about how love wasn't enough in that story and there's another one that started off as an essay and has now become a book by an academic called Maya Tumamaksu I uh, hope I'm saying that correctly, which is do what you love and other, and other lies we're told. And it talks about a rather interesting theory that basically we're being told that we should love our jobs so that we produce more for the economy, that there's actually sort of a bit of a nefarious plan by politics, politicians, companies and all this sort of stuff to make us think that if we love work, it means to work harder than ever before so that we can produce money for the economy and stuff like that. It's a controversial idea, but it's also a very interesting idea when you dig into Maya's work and it's quite, you know, the 3 a.m. hustle. So business it could don't pose some interesting If you're passionate, you don't you. need to sleep. You're up at 3 o'clock because uh, that's the way you get a head start <laughs> on your competitor and you love what you do. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I worry about the impact that that stuff has on people, you know, because I know what it's like as a person that manages mental health condition and disability. I have no children. I always feel constantly overstretched and, and over-obligated and all the rest of it. I can't imagine what adding a 3 a.m. or a 5 a.m. get to the desk <laughs> yes. and start working <laughs> regime I wouldn't be would any do to me. To I think my head body. would melt within no, a week. No, there's no way. So... Alrighty. Well, we'd like to say thank you for joining us again for another episode. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Founder C for the kick-ass song. And thank you to everyone in the freelance jungle that joins us daily to comment on different things in freelance life. If you are hitting this podcast and you haven't heard of the Freelance Jungle before, uh, we've got a sizable group of about 5,000 people, which is called the Freelance Jungle. It's for Australian and New Zealand freelancers. You're welcome to join us. And you can also see our website, which is freelancejungle.com.au. It has a lot of resources and articles and events for Australian-based freelancers to enjoy. Bye-bye. See you, everyone. Bye.